0: the webs michael smith it's episode 116 of the canes cast and it's special do you know why why well one we're still brought to you by storm brew and two we're gonna get a look inside the canes front office
1: yes we are but before we get to that storm brew it's the official Kane's beer. It's a crisp, light lager made by our friends at R&D Brewing right here Delicious. in Raleigh, North Carolina at just 97 calories and 2.4 carbs per serving. It's the perfect brew for all occasions, especially Cane's Home Games, where a 16-ounce can is just $5. Taste the storm at your local tap room and most major retailers with n- new store locations added daily.
0: You make me want to have a storm brew.
1: And, I would love one right and now. And
0: the storm brew itself makes me want to have a storm. Brew. Yes. All right. So uh, this is a, a special episode of Cane's cast here, 116. Uh, just so we can pull back the curtain, we try to have as much transparent you know transparency with all of our uh, listeners out there and everybody tunes in. We're going to talk to Paul Kropelka, the Vice President of Hockey Operations for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, this was something we did before we went on the road, the long and winding road through Western Canada and then mid-Canada and then... Back to the central United States in, in Colorado. Yeah. Where are
1: we right now? Calgary? I, have, no, I, I think we're in Calgary. I okay. think we're in
0: Banff. We might be in Winnipeg. I might be in Calgary. Okay. I don't know. Anytime I head west, there's some trepidation on my part. Yeah.
1: Watch out. <laughs> At least we're going to Canada, though, where healthcare is free. Free,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know if this is better or worse, yeah. but uh, hopefully it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. But uh, we had a chance to sit down and talk to... Paul Kropelka, who, if you don't know his backstory, we're going to fill you in on as much of it as we possibly can. So we hope that you enjoy our conversation with the Canes Vice President of Hockey Operations. Well, we've been waiting a long time for this one, uh, mainly because it took us forever to invite the Vice President of Hockey Operations for your Carolina Hurricanes, Paul Kropelka, here with us. And, Paul, first off... Thanks for joining us. we got a lot of deep thoughts that we're going to get yes, into with you here. Can't wait for that. But, yes, uh, we do.
2: How are you doing? I'm doing all right, buddy. Doing all right. Uh, year two of my rain down here. I'm moving down to <laughs> North Carolina, so I'm starting to settle in and enjoying it.
0: Well, that being said, how different is the settling into the hockey team side versus the player agent side of of what you do? Was there a big transition for you, or was it kind of easier than you were anticipating it?
2: Uh, boy, it was a massive transition as far as dealing with um, the league rules and paperwork and following certain guidelines that come with with everything, everything involved with waivers and contracts and you know central registry and the salary cap. Because on the agent side, you you negotiate the deal, um, and then with the details, basically this team has to deal with it. So that kind of took a little from. Little time for me to get used to when dealing with the league and filling out the waiver forms properly on a day to day basis, which in the agent side you don't see. Um, and then the other big adjustment was worrying about, you know, you you, you worrying about all your guys. You're dealing with all your guys. Or you're an agent. You, you select guys in a team. Um, as far as evaluating talent and things like that, that wasn't as difficult because if you we were fortunate enough as an agency to have a lot of players, so. When you're in that, you're following the game quite a bit. You know the league, you know the players, so you're. That wasn't a difficult, difficult issue, but more like dealing with the, just the details of the league and things like that. It just took a while, but it's like anything else. Once you learn it, it's kind of come second nature now. And you know what, the league's been the league was great with me. They were a great resource to me starting out. They had some patience with me, which I was tremendously grateful to them for. But we're up and running now, no problems. You know. Uh.
1: Go back. We'll go back really to the beginning, I guess, and uh, you growing up in in Massachusetts. Quite obviously, I'm sure people can figure that out from. Uh, <laughs> I get the stupid accent. It's pretty bad. And I'll
2: uh, fully admit it. It's, it's the. It's one of the worst Boston accents around, but. <laughs> I don't think it's going anywhere 50 years fifty years of it, so get used to it. I was going to say.
0: I, I think that you should be flattered that Jimmy Fallon decided to do an entire SNL skit just based on your accent. Yeah,
2: the, the, the accents they do in, in these movies, are, it's not even, it's, it's insulting to us Bostonians. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, no one sounds like that when you have them in the movies, trust me
1: awesome sound like this unfortunately <laughs> not, not, not the movies but you went to uh you went to school at Princeton I did university and played collegiate hockey there what was that experience like uh, not only just getting that education at a school like Princeton but also being able to play collegiate hockey there
2: it was uh it, it was different like I I came from a blue collar background uh, my father was a firefighter my mother works for the town of Arlington where we grew up so guys like where I come from, really didn't go to Ivy League schools. Really didn't go to Princeton. Um, we weren't as refined as you'd think of most Ivy Leaguers. And um, I'll be honest, I got in there. One of the reasons I get, I did well in high school, but you could play. You could play hockey. So, from a cultural standpoint, it was a massive adjustment. But once you get it, you know, it's like anything else. Once you started feeling your way and get getting your confidence up that you can interact and deal with these people, it, um, you met some I met some fascinating people there, some intelligent people. You meet people from all over the world there. So from an experience standpoint, it was unbelievable. Um, better person from it, because uh, obviously I was a little narrow minded Bostonian. You get done with school like that and it just opens your eyes up to all walks of life, different people, different, you know, cultures, whatnot. So I'm forever grateful for that. The hockey side we were horrible. Um, well, but you know.
0: I-, I was gonna ask though. There's a, a pretty big Hockey school in your backyard in the Ivy League in Harvard, where you, you know, were you looked at by Harvard, or were you ticked off uh, and like, I'll show no, you, I want to play you guys. I am going to go to Princeton.
2: I was looked at. I don't think it was a long look. <laughs> I didn't fit their style of play, and that was back then. I think they had like Teddy Donato and Lane, but they won the national championship. I think my sophomore, yes. So they were they were a wagon. Um, so no, I was I was more the the step the next tier. I think it was Dartmouth, Princeton, and Yale was kind of my. Those are my three choices, so, and then at the time, there was a kid from my hometown who actually I played with was at Princeton, and then Timmy Burke, who actually is the head of scouting for San Jose, was the assistant, and he's a Boston guy, was the assistant coach down there, so we recruited a lot out of Massachusetts. I think there was, I think there might have been 10 of us morons down there in the <laughs> hockey team at one time, because <laughs> he was there, you know, so there was a certain comfort level amongst us all, so. It was kind of it was kind of the right fit for me.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, does that make it a little bit easier? Oh, totally. Like you said, there were you did have a group you could hang with instead of trying to find out. All right, where do I fit in here in New Jersey?
2: Yeah, it was like I said. I think there was ten. A couple of kids I like. I said one of my good buddies I played high school with played played little league, played high school. He was down there. A couple of years ahead of me, and, and a couple of kids that we played with growing up all went down there. So the it wasn't as intimidating as if you went in there by yourself, like where am I? What am I doing? So again that was a that was one of the reasons i chose there and i think it was one of the reasons a lot of guys chose they were all together
1: a couple years later you get the opportunity to play in the echl i think it was the east coast hockey league then it's just the echl now
2: east coast hockey league right up the road for the hampton roads admirals john brophy
1: how did that opportunity come about
2: uh I've ran into a little problem at Princeton with my coaches. Um, we had a, let's say a philosophical (laughs) disagreement. So (laughs) my last good year I didn't play. I was coaching, um, I was coaching Lawrenceville prep down the street and I kind of, my ego kind of took over and I wanted to give, you know, F.U. to everyone that I could play. It wasn't, it was just, it was an issue with the coach. It wasn't my ability. So I wanted to keep playing. So I went to, I think it was a free agent camp somewhere and, uh, Hampton Roads spotted me and went down there for two years and it was unbelievable. I wish now that they, they write these books because John Brophy obviously is a legend. Some of the stories are beyond unbelievable and if I wrote these diaries that some of these guys now... I'd be, I'd be a bestseller, be a movie by now, because it's unbelievable some of the experience we had with, with John Brophy up there.
0: I'm pretty sure that he led the ECHL in beers being dumped on him by opposing
2: fans. Dumped in Greensboro, and we played over Richmond. <laughs> we played over here at the uh um, Dorton Arena. Yeah, the Ice Caps. The Ice Caps. It yeah. was, a, you know, you played a Saturday afternoon. It's all glass. at a million degrees in there. But <laughs> that place was great. But yeah, Brophy was every game. it would be going after the fans. Our rivals were. This place, but mostly it was Greensboro. The they Monarchs. Had, they had, I think it was Jeff Brubaker coaching um, and the Richmond Renegades. Yep. And then it was just beer's throat. I mean, that was the old days where anything went. And it was now the East Coast League now, I think, has 30, 32 teams. Back then, it was 12. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you want to slap sh- – I mean, it was right. I, like I said, I wish I wrote a book because there was a kid from Charlestown, kid, Billy Nolan. Um, and he played at BC, and we were riding the buses one day, and was sitting there like, "What the f are we doing?" We was making like 275 bucks a week, getting my heads beat in. But it was, all you do was you'd laugh every day. And at that time, our team was loaded, so we'd play it. We played it in, Nor- in the Norfolk Admirals, and I would play up in the scope. We'd get I think eighty five to nine thousand yep. a night. These people, and it was hockey was new down here for the most part. They thought we were the Bruins. They had no idea that <laughs> we were so far away from it all. It was We couldn't even see the NHL from where we were at. But the times we had was were un, unbelievable, some of the stories.
0: You often hear, though, in, in those situations, you don't appreciate it when you're going through it because, you know, you're grinding, you're thinking, hey, I can make the, yeah. the jump up. Sounds like you appreciate it. Uh, like, you knew exactly where you were and what was going yeah, on.
2: Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to – I mean, obviously, I thought I could play in the A, and you, and you push for that, but it was just – you couldn't help it. Even if someone was sent down – I think we, we were affiliated with Washington, so their AHL team was Baltimore. You know, and actually, at one time, our goalies were Oli Kolzig and Byron Defoe. But even the guys got sent down, the atmosphere was so – it was such around the city and the beach and you go in the arena and it was un, the atmosphere was unbelievable. You couldn't, you couldn't be better. So all the guys, the attitude was great. Brof was, uh, it was just a circus act and we were good. And we were treated by royalty. So it was, I wasn't, I knew it was something to cherish. I wish, you know, in hindsight, I played two. I wish I went back for another year. I just, you're at the, you know, it was one of the Like I went to, I'm like, I went to Princeton. I didn't come down here to make, I was literally making, I made 270 275 bucks a week. Oh, huh. You know, and I wasn't the most talented kid, so I was fighting a bit. So I was getting knocked out, and I don't think I won a fight. I probably had fifty fights. I was probably two and forty eight. So I was kicking a beat, and I'm like for two seventy five, and I'm like, y- you feel the pressure, like all right, I got to do something else. So, but in hindsight, now I'm like, I should have played one more because
1: it was so much fun, so much fun. And you guys won a championship. We won too. a
2: championship. We won a ke- uh, was it the Kelly Cup back then, whatever the R- Cup, the Riley R- Cup, R- C- yeah,
1: the Riley, C- C- yeah, Raleigh, C- Raleigh, C- yeah, the
2: Riley Cup. So we won it in. My first year, 92, 93, no, 91, 92, we won it. I still got my ring. It's not a Stanley yeah. Cup ring, but it's an ECHL ring. A ring's a ring. Hardware yeah, hardware. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we won it my first year. I think, like I said, these and these those people up there, they thought we were rock stars. We won it in Louisville, and there was, they flew out there. would fly back into uh, – Norfolk's airport, we had people waiting for us. This is the East Coast Lake. This ain't the Stanley Cup. This isn't the Carolina Hurricanes. It's a Duke coming back from a national championship. It's the Riley Cup champs, and there's thousands of people meeting us at the airport. You know
0: what I mean? You had to feel tough. Oh, of the cool. world, right? It was right?
2: classic. We were just, uh, some of us were just die and laugh, it was great.
0: All right, so you're, you're starting to make the decision, I'm going to transition out of being a player. You, you said you were doing a little bit of coaching. I picked up on that, you know, when you were waiting did you ever think, you know, I'll, I'll be behind a bench? I want to be a coach?
2: You know, I was coaching high school. I actually enjoyed it a lot. And just, uh, yeah, it was. it's odd. Yeah, I did. But it was not, it was, again, it's, it's not to get too deep. It was kind of like the internal pressures of going to Princeton. You're like, I didn't do this to coach. You know, and I was too young at the time to really have someone talk sense and me, like to follow what you want to do. So, you know, I just didn't do it. I went to, I went and, uh, I had to figure out what I wanted to do, so I decided I'd go to law school to put off that I had no clue what I wanted to do and make it look like I was doing something, and then kind of fell into the agency part of it. But I would have loved to pursue a thing of coaching, but at that time, I was like, well, yeah. that's not what I did, which is wrong, obviously 100% wrong, but that was, I didn't know any better. I was 23 years old, 22 years old, you know? I don't know. So I, even, but even back after, even when I, um, I coached, I coach I ended up coaching, even when I was being an agency, I ended up coaching high school hockey for about 10 years. So it was great, you know. What I enjoyed it I wasn't. Never thought I'd be coaching at the NHL level, but coaching the high school level was just. It was a lot of fun.
0: What's the for you? What's the best part of being in that team environment? What's the part that you loved about it and still love about it today?
2: The best. I tell everyone that the, um, I always wanted to get in management, but the best part of management is the wins and losses matter. Like you care. You care about the like. If I'd go into a game as an agent, and I'd be like. I represented Mike. I, I hope Mikey gets two goals and an assist, and I get out here in two and a half hours and he plays well. Like the wins and losses, you didn't care because you'd have three guys on one team, two on the like. You go to the Stanley Cup Finals and you you know you'd be happy for your guys who won it, but then you have to walk across the locker room and you got guys that devastated. So you can't you couldn't be a fan. Here it's the wins and losses matter, and you take it a heart, which is the that to me that's the biggest. It's the biggest thrill I get out of this the side of it.
1: Is getting into the the agency world is that something you discovered while in law school, or did that come about afterward?
2: No, yeah, in law school I started. I you know I had in the back of my mind to try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I my first year of law, no, I started law school I was a little old. I think I was twenty six because I played a little bit numb. I had in the back of my mind in my first year of law school there was a firm called The Wolf Associates. Bob Wolf was the first big agent. Had Larry Bird. You know, he was the pioneer of being a sports agent. Yeah. And they were based out of Boston. And I had someone I knew who was working there. And I just asked for an interview. Went, in, went into the interview. They gave me an internship. And then literally, it was the, that group was in a transition. And like three weeks later, they offered me a full-time job. So I just kind of, it was right place, right time. And then they let me, law school was good to me. They worked my schedule around so I could work full-time and go to law. It wasn't nights. I kept days. And they both were good to me and flexible with my schedule. So, I got in at my first year of law school and just started, wasn't necessarily hockey. I was working, <clears throat> working in hockey, baseball, football, and basketball, um, just doing a little bit of everything. But that's how I initially got into it.
1: And what did you come to find that you enjoyed most about it there early on and it made you realize that this is something you, you might have wanted to, to have a future in? Uh,
2: again, it was a couple of things. It was obviously on the business side, the thrill of negotiating a deal. Um, the thrill of helping some of these kids realize their dreams. You play a small part of it. Um, the relationships you end up developing with it. Like you get, it's not as much now. It's, it's one of the reasons we get in at some, I sold the company. I got out of it because it's not, it's, it went from being a family type atmosphere to more like a business. Like what have you done for me lately? Like some of these guys I represent, you become, if you, if you were doing it right. And even if you're doing it right now, um, you become part of their family. They rely on you for everything. um, they trust you, which is good and bad. You can see some of the some of the, 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 horrors you see of agents stealing money, but how could that happen? Well, oh, it's very easy. Like I was given from guys I trusted. I had a power of attorney over a couple of my guys. I could do whatever I wanted. And that's how much, but obviously I didn't or wouldn't. Yeah. But you can see how some people would because the players don't know. They rely on you for everything. So you get, I, I got really close to a couple of guys. And again, you, you help them feel like you Help them real, you play a small part in them realizing their dream, and that's what ke- kept you going. And not gonna be any, we were fortunate enough that we, Bobby Or was one of my partners, and a couple other guys, we were representing, I wasn't representing East Coast League players, I was representing some of the best of the best, which the money was good, but it made it a lot, of, made it a lot, a little bit more lucrative, a lot more worthwhile, you know what I mean? But it's still the thing that, the hardest part for me getting out of it was the relationships, having to tell my guys, because I had guys. A guy here, Jordan Stahl, about yep. his family from, I met, I had Jordans when 14 years old. You know, one guy is Eric, Mark, and I get guys, man, Trevor, Trevor Daly was in here for Detroit, played a 1,000th game. I had him as a 15-year-old when he was playing in, in the OHL. Wow. You know, you see these kids, you take them from going, and the other kid, who would I have a kid, Manny Malhotra was here, I had him since 60, like, you help them, you watch them get drafted, you watch them you sign their first contract, you get them their driver's license. You see them have their girlfriend. You see them get married. Now all of a sudden they have four kids. They're playing the 1,000th game. You're like, where the hell did it all And you're there for all of it. Yeah. So you you feel like you don't take credit for it, but you're like, you're, I had a small part in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the stuff that that was the best part of being an agent.
0: We are joined by Paul Kropelka. He's the vice president of hockey operations for the Carolina Hurricanes. Not often we get a chance to really sit down and talk to somebody in depth and find out you know where they started and where they got there. And can't help but notice – uh, it was the Bobby Orr group. I got to think yeah. a kid from Arlington, Mass getting to work with Bobby Orr. That had to be a thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah,
2: obviously it was. And he was, you know, he was a big part of our group being successful. And he was just, he was a guy who spent the, I think I said 20 years of my life with him and everything was, you know, like anything else. When you become a business partner, you have ups and downs, but he was just, he was a, played a special role in my life. And I think we got along cause I, When I first met him, uh, being the arrogant SOB that I was, twenty five something, you could say I still am now. But (laughs) I was like, we met him for the first time to talk. I was like, hey, what's up? Like I'm talking to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 what's up? And uh, I think we we it off the first time I met him. So it kind of it 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 was a good relationship. And then, like I said, it's like anything else. You have your ups and downs. But I love the guy, and he he played a he played a huge role in my life.
0: Bobby had been through everything, you know, as a player and all that. And when you talk about agents and, I mean, his, I think his story for people who know hockey is well documented with him. So was there kind of an edict with your group of we're going to take care of the guys? We're not going to do this. This is, this is how we're going to operate above board all the way.
2: Absolutely. Um, And it was, I think that's, yeah, that's one of the reasons you get into it because what happened to him. Um, He wouldn't talk about it much, but it was understood. But with him and we had another partner, Rick Curran and. Um, Philadelphia, who had some issues with had Eric Lindros and had some things like that, issues with him, and he was the same way. We we're we were going to treat the guys the right way. And that's, guys trusted us. Even guys didn't make it, would would help them out, whatever whatever we could, but there was no chance of doing anything that was not in the best interest of our guys.
0: I don't know if we can top a young Paul Kropelka walking up to Bobby Orr and saying, What's up for a, <laughs> yeah. for a better Bobby Orr story, yeah. but he got a good story like with,
2: with him? No, we, you know, I. He's pretty private. I'm not sharing anything <laughs> because I get the first thing my phone will blow up. So it was all it was all good. We uh, we we had a lot of fun did a lot of good things. in I think I want to say it was 20 years. Um, till I ended up selling my com- my interest back to Bobby and Ricky. But it was um, it was like I said, it was a special time, and it was, I'm, I'm grateful for it.
1: What do you think uh, is is it the relationships that you cherish most from that time? The relationships you formed with. The players? Oh,
2: absolutely! Yeah. I would not even close. And like I said, the hardest part when I sold the company, the hardest thing I um, sold my interest in it, mm-hmm. um, was telling the guys. Like there was, I'm not there were tears with a lot of people. It, t- it took it hard because I was close with them. Like, like I said, I saw them grow up. They relied on me for everything. Like I was their sec- I was their pseudo father, big brother. What you want? What you want? So there were a lot of that was the hardest part. And like I said, you'll see see me back, see if some of my guys, are, a lot of my guys are still playing. I go down and see them all the time, and it's like, big hug, how you doing, how's it? It's, yeah, it, they, it was almost like I had 40 little brothers, you know what I mean, that you, you feel, look at. I mean, I still have a responsibility to them. Some of them, I'm like, you call me if you need anything, you need someone to talk to, call me. I don't know if I should be doing it to other teams, you know, as the <laughs> management side, but it's, I could kill less. I'm doing it, because it's, it's beyond, a, it's a bond that I have with a lot of these guys that, Will never go away.
1: You mentioned one of those the guys that you represented during your time there was Jordan Stahl, um, and you helped negotiate the contract that he signed with the Hurricanes—that ten-year, uh, sixty million dollar contract. Can you sort of walk us through what that whole process was like?
2: Yeah, was, I mean that's obviously a while ago when Jordy was with, um, with with Pittsburgh, and he was coming up on free agency. He was going to be—he might have been the youngest free agent in the history at the time, given his age, and when he signed his entry-level deal. Um, so we had a year left, and it's like anything else you do now. Some guys, teams have, have to plan ahead. They want to sign their – they don't want to go in the last year of a kid who's going to be a UFA. They want to know if they have him. And Jody was there. It was an interesting decision. He was like, do you want to stay? Do you want to explore other opportunities? Obviously, was Eric was here. Um, and then they made a family decision that he would like to – if Pittsburgh would, move him on and move to Carolina. And um, it was kind of – once he did that, then we put an agreement in place with Jimmy, and I think Jimmy understood that the time, like if he's doing this, this is a lifetime commitment for him. This isn't we're doing on a one year deal and hope it works out. So, contract kind of took took a life of its own, but it was more, I think it was a thing that he wanted, a issue that he wanted to try to build something with Eric, um, and that was the probably that was the it was the impetus behind the decision.
0: Because you dealt with Jim Rutherford before with, with Eric's deal, does it make what would seem for us a complex deal, trying to put a 10 year deal together. That makes sense. Does it make it a little bit easier because you know how the other yeah, side wants to absolutely. negotiate? It's
2: like anything else is familiarity. Yeah. And if you have a Ricky Curran my other partner and Jimmy go way back. And you know, if when you are dealing with some of these GMs and agents, if you trust one another and you have done business before, it's easy. So it's, it's funny when you do some of those deals; it's not as complex as people think. You know, some of them are pretty straightforward. I mean, some are, some drag on and it takes a while. Some you could do. I I've done some big deals in literally five minutes. You know what I mean? Um, but other ones just drag. Depends. It's the nature of the deal. It's the who the who the player is. Your relationship with the GM. Um, so it's all over the map. But this one was pretty. It was no, pretty straightforward with with Jimmy.
0: I just I just wanted to continue with the Stalls for a second because, yeah. like you said, you watched all of them grow oh, up well. basically, and and without getting into you know like private you know details or things like that, what what makes that family so different, so special? Yeah, I mean, you start with the the mom and dad, Henry and Linda, but then the boys, how they are, how they carry themselves and conduct themselves. You can give us some insight into just, how these guys have have turned into
2: what we've seen them turn yeah, there's into. There's no secret ingredient. They're just good people. They're humble. They don't. Uh, committed to the game obviously talented players but they don't take themselves too serious they never they were just you know henry and linda could write a book on how to be parents the right way and raise your hockey parents There was none of this there was no ego involved there was no i want special treatment for the kids it's just like and they'd treat everyone with respect and the obviously they were the four boys were good hockey players um i mean it's Tell you how you become close with players and families. I've been to four weddings at the Valhalla ran in Thunder Bay, Ontario, for <laughs> all of them. me and with my get, my four-time date Emmett Tripp Tracy. We sat together for all four weddings, so could <laughs> <get to laughs> tell you some stories on that one. But I don't know but, if but, <laughs> we want to hear. that. I don't know. I don't know if we could air yeah, them. Yeah, let alone want to hear them. There was some fun. There was some good times because all the boys at shop. in, half the time the hurricanes. Jimmy with Jody's a Pittsburgh guys. so it's yeah. uh. It was an interesting mix, but they're not. They know they're just good people, and yeah. the way you see them off the ice is the way it's the way they are. And on the ice, they just they, their talent took over. So they were, you know what? They almost the stalls, and there were a few other clients that I had just kind of ruined me as an agent a little bit because they were so. One, that was so good, and they were so easy to deal with and so professional to deal with. Anytime I had some kid that was a little on the other side, I'd lose my patience or lose my mind with some <laughs> of the parents because I'm like, look at these players and look at their success. This is how they act, and you're acting like this. So I didn't – my patience level with the nonsense was uh, was compromised greatly from dealing with guys like the Stalls, the Dailies, the movies, Adam McQuay, a whole – I don't want to list them all because it leaves some guys out, but – they were a, a pleasure to represent.
1: So you were there then the night, obviously, that Jordan got traded from Pittsburgh to Carolina because that was his his wedding uh, night.
2: Well, we'll this is a, here's a quick one for the wedding. So um, that was the day of the draft was in Pittsburgh, yep. so I had to fly yep. up. I, I left the draft and wanted to fly to Thunder Bay because I couldn't miss one. It'd lindo would never hear the end of it. So <laughs> I was literally at the wedding, and obviously it's a Canadian wedding. Everyone's watching the draft. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know if you've been to a Canadian wedding. Like everyone talks. Like everyone can make a speech. Like, oh, dude, just like anybody The, can the bartender up. can walk up and like, I want to say something. So I've <laughs> like, like, never seen anything like it in my life. So they're in they're in speech mode, and I'm like, I gotta find. I knew he was gonna get dealt. There's no one in there. And so I gotta figure. I'm waiting to see. So I get a text. I'm like, hey, this is going down. So I run out to the lobby in the bar, and it's on the TV, and then I get the other text like it's done. So I, a, I go, I can't have them break it on the phone. I literally walk in there. <laughs> they're on the main table. I, the, one of the uncles is making a speech <laughs> or something. I had to walk behind the main table, grab Jordan and Heather. Middle of the wedding, they're up on the table. Eric on one side, Mark on the other. I'm like, you're going to be traded in about five minutes. Then the word gets out. Like the wedding stops for the most part. Everyone's looking at me. I'm like, if you want me to do it, I, <laughs> I got to tell the kid. I don't want someone to on Twitter, whatever you do. So it was literally put a... Half hour, the thing just came to a grinding halt because you had a time to get traded.
0: Well, because some of his Penns teammates were they're there. all there. So I was got to think that Flurry. they were just like, is this really happening?
2: This, Sydney, Fleury, they are all over there. And they're at the table next to me. And they're looking at me. I'm like, huh. what do you want me to do? Like, <laughs> we got to do my job. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's how we found out. I was literally crawling up behind the head table like, buddy, you're getting dealt in about two minutes. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? The mock looks at me, and he knew as Eric, he's like, Zarek, I'm like, yep, you got him.
0: <laughs> so, so it's safe to say that uh, Sid and Flower didn't buy you drinks the
1: rest of the night.
2: No, it was kind of an awkward spot for the rest of the night for me. You know what I mean? I kind of kept them sat in the corner for the rest of it, watched everything unfold.
1: So you represented him, obviously grew close to him and his family during that time. Now you come on board here in a management role. Has your relationship with him changed at all? And how have you... Watched him grow, and has that perspective changed with your role now in management?
2: It was, um, it was awkward at first because yeah. I don't, I think he didn't know like how could we interact with each other and how um, what are the players going to think? Do they know how close we were and yeah. everything we went through? Um, and I didn't either. Like I, I'm like, how am I going to handle this and without putting making the kid uncomfortable? But then we figured it out. Like it's. It's an easy group of guys in that locker room. Everyone down there from the players to the coaching staff to, you know, Billy and, and Doug. It's a, it's a great group. Um, so once we started interacting in front of there's no judgment made. Like we – but we even still have our private conversations. If we, like when he was going through his issues last year, like I'd talk with him outside of the room or just one-on-one and just not management, just as a friend. Like what's up, you know, who do you, What do you, what's going on here and have those conversations. So the relationship – it was, yeah, again, it was odd, but it's still, it's still as strong as ever, and it is what, it, you know, if he knows if he needs to talk about something unrelated to hockey, he just call. It. he knows he can talk to me as a guy who's in management, or he can talk to me as a friend, and, and I think everyone in that room now knows what our relationship from the past, so there's no pre, there's no judging or compromising or why you're talking to management, there's none of, there's none of that, right. there's, there's not even, it's, it's not even the thought process, you know what I mean, for either one of us, so... Um, and then from growing up, it's like I said, you see him, where you always knew he was going to be a captain. Um, yeah. Just the way he, can, he conducted himself, even at a young age. So just, it's like anything, you watch these guys, at, all of them with stalls, or all my guys I had. They, and you, It's when you realize you're getting old, or I'm getting old, but you you watch them as sick, go from 16 year old kids to men yeah. and fathers and captains of teams, and you see them grow up, and the maturation process, it's pretty. It's a little bit of it's a little mind blowing to be honest to see what they've turned themselves into, you know.
0: Weird for you to see a guy that you represented retire, it
2: blows my mind. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable. Even with like a thousand games and things like like again, like Trevor Daly. I've had Trevor Daly when he was sixteen. Like now he's got three, two kids, a thousand games, winning Stanley Cups, and I'm like, I was there in the Sioux when he was playing, you know what I mean? Like sitting there, like, you got to be kidding me. And, and even the cane you had before, Jay McClement was, I don't know, he ended up yeah. playing nine. I remember talking to him, seeing him when he was playing for the Kingston Voyagers at age 15 and some <laughs> BS rank freezing my ass off. And I'm like, he got 800 games under his belt growing up, you know, with a couple of kids. I'm like, where does this all go?
0: Time flies. yeah. Especially it's, when you're having fun evidently.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, we had I had a lot of good like well, we were fortunate we had a lot of good clients, a uh, lot of good people, you know what I mean?
0: A, a big picture for the game and how the both sides have changed. What has the salary cap done on both sides for agents and players in the front office when it comes to getting deals done? Cuz in one hand you'd think, well, this is all the money you got to work with. On the other hand, does it make it more, compl- you know, way more complicated cuz you're trying to Figure ways around the cap and make things fit.
2: Well, it's it's more difficult from a management standpoint because obviously you got to fit your entire team and you got to allocate it properly. Um, From an agent standpoint, it all depends who your guys are. Um, Like your your stars are getting your money. What what the salary cap essentially did was eliminate the middle class. Middle class is gone. So it's most of the teams that are successful. It's your top heavy. You're paying your your high end guys. And then you're filling all the rest of your roster with low, lower salary guys. So, if you looked around the league, you don't see many three, four million dollar guys on teams. Yep. There's maybe one a couple of them. So you can't because you can't be, for the most part, you can't have that really a successful team. It's just, it's a star driven league. Now, from an agent standpoint, it's if you have a lot of stars, you know you're fine. You getting your, you're, the guys are getting their money. You know, what yeah. I mean, the only time they don't get their top topped off, a kid wants to take less to build have a team build around them. Um, where it's hard is if you have those kids just trying to break in and you got to, you know, you got to grind for those million dollar, million dollar, million five type guys. you got to grind for them. Where well, before they would just say, yeah, we'll give them one five, it's done. Yeah, do a two year deal, one five. Now it's it's a grind for those guys. And what happens because of the bottom, and I say bottom, they're NHL yeah. players, so it's taken in perspective, but those bottom tier guys, it's like, all right, you, they can be replaced. They can be replaced tomorrow. So from an agent standpoint, it if you have one of those guys, you gotta be careful. You gotta make sure like if he slide it properly, don't a your because your guy could be out of the league and looking to go to Europe because you thought he could get one eight as opposed to the one four or whatever it is on the table and you have to grind for it. So it's a little it's a little different dynamic.
1: Yeah. So between uh the time that you sold your interest uh in the war hockey group and then you came on board in management here with the hurricanes How did that opportunity come about, and 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 what interested you in uh, getting into this side of the hockey business?
2: Well, I always wanted to try it. I always wanted. I was always, again, doing being the agent for agency for twenty years. It kind of for me, it kind of ran its course a little bit. I mean, the relationships were good, but it was the same thing: contracts and and I got turned off by the recruiting and some of the parents and the fact that it turned became it became what have you done for me lately you know what i mean and i got to the stage where some of the like i all right instead of saying smitty got two goals last night good for him i'm going to call him like great job it's like good smitty got two goals last night he's not going to call me today or his parents aren't going to call me and bitch yeah and it became it, it, it i lost my passion it wasn't fun you know yeah. what i mean um and i always wanted to try the management side cuz it intrigued me and again i was kind of craved to see what it was like of wins and losses, see how that would matter. So um, I, I sold my company to get out of it and try to pursue this. I kind of, in hindsight, I should have, I sold too early. I jumped the gun because I thought it would be easy to get a management job. Um, but I you realize how few there were, so I should have held on for a little bit longer with the company till I had something locked in. Um, but I did it anyways, and then I just started trying to get, you know, touch base with some old contacts and see if there was any type of opportunity here and then you know i was fortunate i shot an email once when tom bought the team and i knew he was they would change some things up in the front office that i didn't I know donnie from way back and i shot him an email and he got back to me right away and we kind of talked and i talked to tom and it was kind of a we got along kind of a good fit and i was like i said i was grateful for the opportunity because i was at the stage of. So at the stage of like, all right, it's not going to happen. Let's do something else. And this popped up at the perfect time of my life, so it's I've been grateful to be here.
0: You you brought up something that's like so interesting to me because you're a player. You went through the college route. You know, you played in the ECHL. The you're talking about the players that you loved representing. You didn't want to deal with the pains and the asses. And I, I think as an agent, do you have an easier chance of saying, "I this family's not worth it," or "This kid is not worth dealing with"? Let some uh, other agent be a headache. Where is it the I don't know if you can have that same pick and choose on the management side of of who you deal with or who you bring in, or is it actually easier on the manage on the management side saying, "No, nah, there's there's a lot of baggage here. We don't want this in our locker oh, room." It's
2: easier now, uh, the management, because I think everyone knows the play and what the coaching staff downstairs and Rod and everyone you've built a culture. So there's been guys that you offered to us via a trade, a free agency, and it's no, you're not going to fit in. Like you know, there's no. Social media, but all the scouting, and there's no secrets anymore. Yeah. You guys know the same thing we knew about these players. So I could give you 10 guys right now, and you'd be like, he won't, he can't fit into the Curricanes, he can't fit into that locker room. So it's easier from a management perspective, from an agent perspective. It all depends where you are what, in your career, where you're starting. Like when we were starting all hockey, we were building it up. So we were just taking everyone, like, ah, oh, this kid's a problem. This old man's an idiot. He's a pain in the ass, but he's going to play. We need a client. So he's going to give us revenue we'll take him. Then we made a couple mistakes with some bad people, but we were fortunate enough to get some good players. We didn't need to do that anymore. Like oh, the fathers a headache. No, we'll pass and go to we'll go to the the stalls. Yeah. Families like McCle- McClements, the McQuaids, John Carlson, family of good people. We you can be selective, but if you're starting out on your own, you don't have that ch- you don't have the choice to be selective because you got to get guys into who can play and you kind of you put up with a lot of crap and sacrifice your soul a little bit to, to deal with some of these guys, you know?
0: So would you say you would believe in this kind of thought? <laughs> Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away from them and you have their shoes. That's a deep thought right <laughs> it there. It is a deep Jack hockey Handy. thought for you. Buddy,
2: and I can go even further. I can tell you where our Jack Handy thought thought started. I grabbed Smitty. We are <laughs> yeah. in Washington. And... uh. It was somehow pre-season, other, game. Pre-season, yeah, preseason game preseason game after the first period I was I don't even have I have a dummy Twitter account just to read stuff I don't even know how to work it there was Me a neither. Mike Metascalco seeing some good things <laughs> And there's nothing else. They go to Smitty, I'm like, call your boy, like, see and watch. Like, what what does that mean, seeing some good things? They were making some
0: plays or some passes,
2: maybe a goal here or there. So that's where we started Deep Thoughts by Mike Maniscalco, (laughs) right in Washington (laughs) in a preseason game.
0: (laughs) I've got to bring him back. I haven't had a deep hockey thought in a while.
2: (laughs) And it's kind of taken his life of its own (laughs) these days, you know.
0: (laughs) Which, uh, by the way, one of the things that uh, I am most appreciative of is I got a book of quotes like from that. Jack Handy when I uh, when I truly needed it most and needed oh, a laugh it was, from Paul Kripalka, I, so I, Well,
2: I, told, I figured you wouldn't. Obviously, you're going through that time. Everyone's reaching out for you, buddy. So, I, I'm sure that uh, when you go through something like that, you realize yeah. that uh, how popular they were. But I, got, I found the book and then I was like, <laughs> I gotta send it to him. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> we're the same. Smitty's too young, but no one remembers oh. <laughs> the Saturday Night Lives when all of a sudden a deep thought would come scrolling across the screen <laughs> yeah. and you'd be like, take you like a minute, be like, That was actually just hilarious. (laughs) And
0: it all started with you telling me the one about the dogs for people who don't know. (laughs) And if dogs take over the world.
2: That's right. If dogs took over the world, I hope they don't elect the president by size. Because Chihuahuas probably have some barely good ideas. <laughs> that's where it started. <laughs> Deep <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> Deep thoughts. So here I we like go. See, this one. is what we do with management behind the scenes. Exactly. We during the day when he's not doing his thing, when I'm not trying to get plays <laughs> in here. We just have mindless conversations.
0: Uh, we, we didn't even go into, you know, when Saturday Night Live would be off for a week and we'd get Saturday night's main event. That was the highlight <laughs> growing up. <laughs> yeah. You are hoping for that big Intercontinental Championship match between Coco Beware and the Macho Man.
2: We have to, we could have a separate podcast and just go over the wrestling (laughs) because I think me and Mikey are big time into it. Actually, the other guy is a. A hidden wrestling fan is Luke DeCock. We have some good wrestling conversations up on the ninth floor. Uh-huh. Um, Trip Tracy goes crazy when we start talking wrestling in the booth when we me, him, <laughs> and Fozzy. But we could get big time. I used to be the biggest wrestling guy back in the day. Went to the Garden so many times, the so Battle Royal, and oh. uh,
0: Freebirds taking on the Midnight Express. <laughs> yeah,
2: having
0: Bruno's, good moments there
2: in the Continental. In the Continental Champion, Pedro Morales and Tito Santana. <laughs> Oh yeah, we could go. You know, we'll start naming names. Half right. your listeners will be like, "Who the hell are they talking about?"
1: Yeah, that's me right of now.
0: Greg the Hammer, Valentine, and Brutus Beefcake. I mean, that's tag Fu- team champions. Fuji and
2: Sayida with oh. the salt in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't. I don't even want to go into Kamala, the Ugandan giant.
2: The best part was where they were with from with
0: kimchi and Mister yeah. Parts
2: Unknown. Parts Unknown was a great was a great place where half these guys are from. <laughs> parts Unknown,
0: Michael Smith, hailing from parts That's unknown. unknown. That's great. somewhat true. Yeah, you're a little bit little bit
2: before your time, Smitty.
1: Yeah, I'm just uh, everything you're saying is going Don, straight over my head. Don the
0: Rock
2: go, Morocco. And if any of you listeners want to. Do get Smitty a Christmas present. I've been telling him since he lost all this weight, will someone please send him in a belt that fits? Oh. His belt is about 18 sizes too big and almost wraps around himself twice. So I'm either going to cut it or one of you guys will listen to us. Send in some belts. What size is your waist, Smitty? What 12, do you know? uh, My waist? Yeah, what size your waist It's like size? a
1: 32, 33.
2: All right, so if any of you guys got any 34-inch belts, because yeah. his belt size right now has got to be 42. Yeah.
0: Your belt <laughs> size yeah. could fit me right now, Smitty. Yeah. That's not right.
2: So yeah. send in a bunch of 34-inch belts to Smitty, and we'll dress him up and put it on the jumbotron during one of the games.
1: Reversible? Are you okay with that? You I'm know? perfectly fine with reversible. I'm all about uh, practicality, so okay. if it's Fear reversible, about, that's,
0: well, that's why he's that's why he's got the belt that's so big. It's practical. He's, it is practical. Can, you know, if he needs to swing across a lake, he can just.
2: And we got we have to find. We should have a contest. We got to find out when you were uh, two worst looks when you an NHL Network. <laughs> Had the overhead view of you looking like he had seventeen chins. Or <laughs> when Mike Mikey did the uh, pregame and a look with Abby, and he looks like he's four foot two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with the
0: I'm gonna go with the uh, four foot two. Although with me, the seventeen chins are real. Oh, so but, that
2: yeah, well, the now two worst looks. Uh, like can 12. we get the cameras to work? This one looks uh. like Dinklage. The other guy looks like he's in a fat suit. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, we're trying
0: to bring back, uh, trying to bring bring back Jake and the Fat Man after murder. She wrote, <laughs> so. yeah,
2: but that's good. That, that's the thing that I, I like about the people down here. Everyone, it's almost it, you guys got a pretty good f- f- family type atmosphere and the management. Even th- there's good people in this whole building, like the people that, like everyone asks me, "How's it? It's easy living down here." But even this organization, even when you go down to that dungeon on floor M, whatever the hell that yeah. is, where you are, yeah, that's, no
1: windows and nothing. Yeah, they just keep us locked it's in. It's an there. insane
2: asylum. <laughs> but there's good people in the building. There's good people in in the locker. You know, you can say that you make fun of people. Just call them fat as good-hearted. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> call me with a stupid accent and walk like a walk legs because I got two fake hips. So everyone just makes fun of each other in in, in the right way. Yeah, you know even what the I players. That yeah, draw play-
1: Peter Mrazek on the ice. Plays that's
2: great. Yeah. No, that's just it. I, one thing I do in that locker room is a good vibe. Like with Billy, yeah. Billy, everyone, it's joke around, make fun of everyone, but then they swip, flip the switch and you got to be serious. Yeah. You know, and it's it it just makes it's a it's a good
1: environment. So I'm gonna flip the switch, I guess, and get serious again. Um, you go from negotiating contracts on one side of the table to negotiating contracts on the other side of the table. Do you feel like you have a unique perspective because? of the years you spent as an agent, do you feel like you have that unique perspective now in management negotiating those contracts?
2: Yeah. I mean, I know, I kind of know what their ass is going to be, right. Like what they're looking at. I know wh- where they're coming from. I know the pressure points that they f- that the agent will be will be feeling from his client, wherever the client is in his career and what he's done in the past. So yeah, that it helps. It helps a great deal. It also I think I have because of my reputation as an agent. I, I get along with most of the, the agents that don't come at me with something stupid. Like I know what the reality is. So if the if the kid's a five million dollar player, don't ask for fifteen because you know how the you know <laughs> yeah. what the response is going to yeah. be. Like let's right. get to it and try to have we can disagree, but let's disagree and have a, on a reasonable number. So I've been lucky. I've had a few fools. send me, like and I call them back. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like stop. Send something else when yeah. you want to get serious. So, um, but yeah, for me, it's just more knowing the agents, they know me um, and knowing, like I said, the certain pressure points and certain dynamics and what, all right, this kid is in a stage, he'll, he'll want a long-term deal. This agent will want one for his own to lock a guy in. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a flight risk of his client getting stolen. This guy might want to lock a guy in. and you Kind of those are the, the little things of knowledge that it's information that you can use and Try to get a you know, a fair deal or a team favorable type deal.
0: Is there a trend though? Because you know, a couple of years ago it seemed everybody wanted the long term deal. Let's lock in the guys. Right. Now we're starting to see maybe a little shorter term, you know, take a little less money, a little shorter term, but try to, you know, for lack of a better term on the player side, you hit the lottery twice yeah, if you play with good. it. Exactly. Is, is is how much do you have to have a feel for like you said, you get the ace up your sleeve. I think I kind of know what the ask should be and we can use that. To help the team out a little bit,
2: it all it, yeah, it depends. What I, I think you're right. There is a trend because back in the day, everyone was seven, eight year deals when these came when these deals came in, um, and some guys over outplayed the deals, you know. Um, so th- there was a push to go shorter, but it was also, I think, I think a, it'll be interesting what happens. There was so much money coming into the system with the new TV deals and things like that. I think a lot of these guys were hedging their bets like, let's do short-term because the cap could go from 90 to who knows in the X amount of years. Now, when that new TV deal gets done, it'll be interesting to see if people go back to the long-term deals because, like, all right, here's where we're at. And, you know, the cap might go up a little bit, but here's where you're going to max out at. All right, give me the eight years or give me the the seven, eight-year deals. It could go the other way. It might not because it's such a – the reason that doing the shorter deals is because – it's such a young man's game now. These kids are stepping in at 18, 19, yeah. 20. So they're coming out of their entry level deal at 22, 23. So these guys are doing bridges, like a five-year bridge. They're not doing bridges for $2 million a year. Five, like, yeah. Five-year bridge, they're putting $40 bucks in their pocket and then can come out at age 28 and crush it again like a uh, Carlson or all the Johnny yeah. Carlson and all these guys. Yeah.
0: Matthews with his deal up in Toronto.
2: Yeah, but uh, these. When you come out of twenty eight, then you be like, "All right, give me my eight years, and I'm gonna lock it. In. I'll hit the, I'll hit the home run again." So, because of its, uh, because it's uh, becoming such a young, a, young league that these guys, it's, it makes sense for them to do. Some of them make sense for them to do shorter term deals because they can hit it again. Now, again, if the money was in, it's a lot easier doing a short term deal when you're making seven million bucks or eight million bucks, and all of a sudden that's life changing money. If you're doing a short-term deal to get two or four, two million bucks, those type of guys want longer term. It all depends who they are. It's yeah. more of a soup like, it, bridge deals aren't being done by the second, third-line guys. It's it's more the top-end guys, like, they can drive the market. Like, I want a short-term deal because I'm going to crush it again when I'm in my prime at 26, 27.
0: You also mentioned culture, how that's important, and what Rod Brendamore has done in the culture. Is it easier for you now because of the contacts and things that you have? Like, we can identify – these guys fit. This this is going to be a fit. We know that we can can go here. And now, like with you, I, I don't want to drag out this question, but what you said is when you're the agent, the player agent, I just have to worry about getting what I can for my guys. Now with the management, I got to think there's so many discussions. You know, this number, this fit, this oh, character. Yeah, it doesn't, that like it's how every day. It doesn't how, stop. how do you come to a consensus on like this is a guy that we want or this is a guy that we we want to. Forget who's on the roster, but, like, if you're looking at a free agent, if you're looking at a trade, how much give and take and back and forth goes on in the front office when it comes to a decision like that?
2: A lot, because it, it's – the first thing is obviously talent. How good's the player? Yeah. Two, it's does he fit into the system we play? Um, three, where's his character? And then if all that aligns that someone would want, and the coach, Roddy, and the coaches would want, then, all right, what's the number? Because it – if You sign a guy for X amount, then it's, it's trickle down effects. There's only there's only so much many dollars in the pie. So once you get to the ability, as a good fit. Then you're like, all right, where's well, he in a number? What's he want for term? If he's an older player and he's his ask is seven eight years, like, do you want a 35 year old guy making six million bucks down the road? So you have to, you just can't plan on the now. You got to plan, you know, if you want to be sus- good for a sustained period of time. You got to plan four or five years out, so every contract matters. So with the discussion down there with self, Donny, Tom, the analytics group, and everyone else, it's that it's it's daily. If you're looking look to acquire a player, those are the the boxes you got to check and have discussions on. And all right, we sign him. Again, even so, we sign player X. Well, now we got player Y's contract coming up, and his stats are just play. now. He's going to be at that number, maybe more. Right. Where does that factor? So it just. Yeah, it's just it's every conversation, every player signing is it's not just yeah, let's do this. There's a whole list of issues you got to walk through before you're comfortable doing it.
1: Right. Um, this year is a bit of a an interesting situation salary cap wise because the team's kind of pressed up against that ceiling. How much of it is a a daily battle to to try to maximize that that cap space that this team has just in case you want to make an ad down the line.
2: Yeah, we've, we've been. Most of the season we carry the 20 guys with 12 the 12 and eight and a right. 12 six and two I should say um and that's you to match because you bank your bank payroll your bank salary cap space the, the more you're under every day adds up so we we're trying to stay as far under as we can so when you come to the trade deadline or whatnot you you have the most cap flexibility to add a, the best player or multi, or you could be in a position if you're saved enough you could add two players um so we're that's a daily thing again that's a daily conversation we all have who, who's coming up what's their number how's it fit in and um you know, again who we are if we're looking to acquire someone do you have to move a player to get under how's that going to set us up who's going to leave us enough enough space to add someone so all these things with the salary cabin plays it they're, they're daily com- daily conversations and when i say that the conversations plural daily because um, it's, it's how you're going to set your team up. You have to be cognizant of it. You, and if you, The more room you have, the more flexibility you have to, to add players.
0: When you see how the game is played now, though, it, it's just so fast.
2: and It's north-south. Too fast sometimes.
0: I was, was going to ask, are there yeah. things about the game, like when you watch it, you're like, you know, I would like to see, you know, this or, or that happen to the game. Somet-
2: I mean, I, it's hard for a defenseman, because I, I, sometimes I think defensemen are going to get, like, you know, um, the game's so fast. I'm not sure like Trevor Van Riemsdyk like last year against the Islanders got absolutely killed by Clutterbuck and fair hit, but he was coming from the red line because yeah. everyone's just going, going, going. You can't hold defensemen can't hold up guys anymore. Goalies only can come out and play the puck, so it's so many feet. So defensemen get exposed and get get run. Um, and also, that for me, I mean, there's the argument bring the red line in. I don't, I don't know if that's a solution, but I hate sometimes the game. I mean. Uh, well, the game's are exciting forever because yeah. these kids do things with the puck. Like, they're so skilled; it's 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 unbelievable. So, but I also hate sometimes you just see chip and chase, and you see these passes, three zones, and ch- chip it in and go get them. So it's basically up and down. There's no sometimes you watch a game or watch a period like there hasn't been a play yet. They're just chipping it and going. Um, I don't know what the is sl- the red line. These kids might be too fast and too skilled to put the red line back in so I don't know I don't know the answer but sometimes you see the game and like it's way too fast someone's gonna get someone's they're out of control someone's gonna get hurt but having said that I don't think anyone would argue that the game's probably in uh, the best place it's ever been from a talent and skill and, and excitement standpoint
0: you said you were excited to get back in and be excited about the wins and losses what did last year's run for you to be involved in that and watch this team knock out the caps and then sweep the aisles and then you get to go home and i'm sure 30 guys named Sully on your phone <laughs> were calling you and asking for tickets Yeah. but uh i no, mean
2: it was great you know what not even that we were, just the it's the run they went on after the new year like they, we were on a hell of a run yeah. and no one saw, if anyone says they saw a to line to you cuz we were i think what we were 15 17 or whatever cause you guys know it better than i do yeah, it was
1: like 26th, 27th in the yeah, league.
2: We're, we're playing well, but it is what – you are what you are. Right. And um, to go on that run was just – but to see the team just come together. Like, it was it was unbelievable. They say – want, they want a couple or, you know, eight out and now, whatever it is, and then they start believing in themselves, and they went on a roll that was pretty impressive. And then – you know yeah. what? It was also good for the market because you guys know it better than I do. Yeah. I think the market – when you first when I first came in early in the fall, you – Place wasn't too lively. There wasn't you see a lot of empty seats. Then this team started winning and going on a hell of a run. Now the building's packed. It's electric. So what it did for the fan base and what it did for the this market and get everyone re-energized, I think that's that's more important than anything else.
0: What did it do for the front office when it comes to attracting free agents it's or a, attracting people?
2: All that stuff. They realize it's a fun place to play. It's a good. It's a people really like, they they want to. this couple of things. Great atmosphere to play in, great building to play in. Coaching staff plays a style that players like to play. It's go, 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 go speed. Um, And you know what? I think people, when they – this whole Raleigh-Durham, whatever you guys call it down here, the triangle, the square, what the hell you call it, is – It's Raleigh. There's no (laughs) such thing as – by the way,
0: there's no such thing as Raleigh-Durham. It's just Uh, Raleigh. Raleigh.
2: It's uh, – people don't realize how what a nice place it is to live. It's an easy place to live. That's what I tell everyone. Like, how do you like living down there? I'm like, it's an easy place to live. It's – weather's well, great, but the, there's good people down here. And I think it's I – don't, I don't think enough people in the league, the players know that. And when they get down here, they realize it. And now all of a sudden, they, the team's winning, great fan base, and the players players tell players, and it gets around pretty good. Like, this is on your radar. It used to be like – Carolina calls. Well, yeah, let's see if we have nothing else, let's go. Now it's Carolina call. Let's talk to them. Mm-hmm. And you got on the team's radar and that I think that I think that was a direct result of what happened last year. If that doesn't happen last year, this is still a tough place to get players to want to come, but after last year and what they saw, we're in a pretty good we're I would say we're a, a desired spot or a, a place that every play will when they hear that will consider. And then whether you get him or not, we'll see. But it's no longer—you have a shot at everyone now. I don't—not sure that was the case in years past. You know.
0: He is the vice president of hockey operations for the Hurricanes. He's a good man. Glad we finally got you in here.
2: Daddy, it's a pleasure, yeah. buddy. Got I some like deep to...
0: thoughts here. now. You can come back.
2: I got to say one thing. I have, I had to do a shout out for somebody who liked this. I told him that Kim Jenkins' dog Chip <laughs> is my guy. <laughs> So I told Kim I'd give him a shout out, but I feel bad for him because the poor thing, she dresses him up in these ridiculous oh. outfits. So it just tortures the whole dog. I can only imagine what she's going to do to the kid at Christmas, <laughs> the, the dog at Christmas time. So I told her I'd give Chippy a shout out. Right.
1: We'll see it on Instagram.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'll see that. So you can tell, I don't have, I'm not on that stuff, so tell me what it looks like <laughs> okay. and it's we'll gonna take care be, of it's gonna it. It's going
0: to be but. dressing up a dog. That's
2: not right. Yeah, they do that. So the girls downstairs do that to their dogs, and it infuriates me. I'm like, do you ask the dog what, the, what he looks like? He must look himself in the mirror and be like, are you kidding me? Have you ever <laughs> you know seen I mean? it? Like,
0: it just... Have you ever seen a picture of the pets when they're dressed up? They're so mad, they're so infuriated. They feel shame. It's yeah. like you know, I didn't choose
1: this. Yeah, but then you feed them, and everything's right again. Uh, you, you dress yeah. up your dog? No, I. Okay. <laughs> well, he he wore a Santa see? hat last oh. year. <laughs> ah.
2: See? See, this is a whole thing. this is a, this is a whole separate. We got about ten of the ten more of these shows: wrestling, dressing up pets. Exactly, totally. Against I can't it. wait. It's all coming to the light of day
1: we, here. We need a spinoff podcast where we can just talk about whatever,
2: anything but canes. Yeah, we'll <laughs> anything, anything, anything but, anything but, but canes, canes with Kripelka. Yeah, anything <laughs> but canes. We'll go over life life issues. You know, we'll solve them all.
0: And you can send your questions into us. It'd be great
2: questions and belts for Smitty. That's what we want. That's our big movement. Belts for Smitty. (laughs) Paul, Paul, thanks so much. This is long overdue. You guys are the best. Love you. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Paul Kropelka. We're going to have him back.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: I I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. uh, Because when uh, we could have gone on for much, much longer, uh, but he had to get out of here. We had to get out of here. Obviously, we wanted to wrap the podcast in in an in an acceptable amount of time, but we will certainly have him back because he's just got tons of stories and all sorts of stuff.
0: And you brought up something as well. The minutia of being in the front office of managing a team salary cap implications. And so when people hear things, the Canes are banking cap space for the upcoming trade deadline or before the trade deadline, or whatever you want to. So when people ask, you know, why doesn't this happen, or why does that happen, whenever there's a decision to be made with the roster, Paul Kropelka's got a hand in this. So it's going to be definitely something that we want to revisit in the stories. Uh, We can scratch the the surface on stories in 12 episodes and still not get to the depth. Although I do love how uh, there's some things that you protect in life, like Bobby Orr. Full respect protecting yeah. everybody, Bobby. Yeah. bob your story, but i'm still I'm still floored by what's up <laughs> Bobby you <are. laughs>
1: like you know long time yeah. friends long time yeah. buddies yeah, I know who you are what's Which up? they are now they are, but um maybe we'll just start a spin off podcast, the three of us oh my goodness, we should we should I'm down, and I don't know we what we could call it, yeah, I don't know, and uh. Or if we'd have a sponsor attached to that one. Oh,
0: we'd get sponsors <laughs> attached to that one. Yeah. There's no doubt. But uh, thanks again to Paul Kropelka. That was, for me, uh, that's one of my favorite episodes that we've gotten to do. Uh, yeah, for sure. And if you like that, please let us know. And we're not getting, you know, normally we say, you know, rate us five stars and we're best friends for life, which we are. That's true. We met a couple of people uh, after the Canes game the other night who told us how much they listened to. The Canes Cast, and we told them that we're best friends for life,
1: which is true. It is true. We're no also best friends that. with R and D Brewing, who brews Storm Brew. Oh yes, and they sponsor Canes Cast. Uh, you can find Storm Brew uh, Harris at- Teeter, yeah, Food Lion, mm-hmm. Lowe's Foods, Whole Foods.
0: Well, Lowe's Foods coming up uh, even more with like some great deals. Fresh Market, Costco, Walmart, Wegmans, Handy Hugo's, Breeze through. Basically, where you purchase your beverages. You will purchase Storm
1: Brew. Yeah, if you're in a 75-mile radius of Raleigh, you're probably going to find Storm Brew. And if you're in PNC Arena, you're definitely going to find Storm Brew where 16-ounce cans are available for just $5 for all Hurricanes home games. That's a, that's a steal.
0: And it's a tasty beverage.
1: It is. I, it's light. It's crisp. It's refreshing. That's exactly what I want uh, in a crushable beer. Yes. And that's what Storm Brew is. I'm
0: glad you used that word. Crushable. Because that's exactly what it is. As we detailed the week before, when I can't wait for like summertime too it's great to drink it in the arena yeah and hopefully, how about a nice spring run once again that takes us near June and maybe into June that beer is going to be very tasty when mm-hmm. you get there once again storm brew from r and d brewing
1: well, we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to add something more there Nope that was okay. That's I good. had enough that was perfect. I think that we yeah, I think we covered all of that. We hopefully,
1: will. hopefully we'll have some storm brews here uh, to uh, taste test. Oh, We've already tasted to enjoy while we record podcasts. I would say enhance the podcast. <laughs> enhance the po- <laughs> podcast recording experience. That'll be Kane's cast after dark. Yes. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week uh, for episode 117. Yes. Should be, uh, the Hurricanes are actually in Toronto for an afternoon game on Monday. Um, so we should come to you on Monday morning. It might be another uh episode where we record uh, prior yep. uh, but we'll have a new episode well, there it's, for you it's Just, the special holiday edition it is of kane's cast yep. so we'll have that for you next week uh and if something goes awry and we don't have that for you next week we'll certainly let you know all
0: right well that will wrap up this one again let us know if you like this because we would love to do more kane's cast like this where we go deep dives, a little bit more in-depth with a a front office person, a member of the organization, clearly a player if we can get the time. Players' time is a little bit more precious uh, to get a guy for an hour, but uh, we'll also have the return of the Marty Minute, or we'll try to have the return of the Marty Minute for you. Uh, Again, Jordan, if you're listening, we want it every single week, but Michael Smith is the one who says we can go without That's not true. I've been told <laughs> by certain people that I might have just lied about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So that'll do it for this edition, episode 116, a very special sit-down with Paul Kropelka. For The Web's Michael Smith. And TV's Mike Maniscalco. We'll talk to you next week. Moy moy. Thank you.